Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the New Testament book of Hebrews. The New Testament book of Hebrews in Hebrews in chapter number 10. The book of Hebrews and chapter number 10. We've been traveling through the book of Hebrews together and through it we've been watching as it has been promoting and explaining more about who Jesus is. Out of the beginning of the book of Hebrews, we see that Jesus Christ, that he is better than the angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than uh, Joshua, and he's better than Aaron. As we go on, we can see that the cross was a better way. It is better than the Levitical system, that Jesus Christ, he is the high priest. And because of that, there were certain things that affected us. We could see that his sacrifice was better better that his blood was better than the blood of goats and calves it was better than any of those things well with this still in mind Jesus Christ as the high priest and his sacrifice on Calvary was better it continues with this train of thought as we come to the book of Hebrews chapter number 10 as once again the context is that it's placing the emphasis on the blood of Jesus Christ notice with me in the book of Hebrews chapter 10 and let's start together in verse number one the book of Hebrews chapter 10, and in verse number 1, the word of God says this. For the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices, which they offer year by year continually, make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? Because the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body thou hast prepared me. In, in burnt sacrifices, or burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written to me, To do thy will, O God." Above when he said, sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin, thou wouldest not, neither hast pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oft times the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, forever sat down on the right hand 
of God. From henceforth, expecting to, or expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that he hath said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds I will write them. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission of these is there is no more offering for sins. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of Hebrews in chapter number 10? The book of Hebrews in chapter number 10, and notice with me er, in verse number 10, Hebrews 10, 10, notice this, the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. The offering of the body of Jesus Christ. And with this, we want to study more about the offering that Jesus Christ gave in his own body and the power that it had above all the other offerings that the Old Testament had talked about. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And I'm thankful that we could trust you. I'm thankful that you loved us, that you paid our price for us. Help us to understand even more as you tell us the importance of your body being offered for us. Help us to just to get more of an understanding of the power, the, what you are getting across, the assurance that we get because of it, that it was enough. Thank you that we could trust you. Thank you that you were enough to pay for our sins. Fill me with your spirit now. That, we can, that you can explain it through me. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, as we start off, again, we're placing the emphasis on the offering that Jesus Christ made. The first thing we want to show you in Hebrews chapter number 10 is that the offerings of goats and bulls was not enough. The offerings of goats and bulls was not enough enough. Notice with me in Hebrews chapter 10 starting at verse 1. For the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with those sacrifices which they offer year by year continually make the cumbers thereunto perfect. Now once again, it's been placing an emphasis in the last couple chapters that those things that were done in the earth under the Old Testament law were pictures. And pictures are not the same as the real thing. For example, in my wallet or in my phone, I have a picture of my wife. Now, as great as having a picture of her is, it is much better to have the real thing. I would rather hug my wife than hug the picture. You understand? Pictures have limitations. They're good reminders. They're good things to point to. But pictures are not the same as the real thing. And so the Old Testament economy with the sacrifices, with the priest, with the tabernacle, those were pictures. And they were good reminders. They were good things to have, but they were not the real thing. They were something to point to the real thing. 
But they never took away sins. They never covered anybody's sins. It was always Jesus Christ and those things that they were trusting. Notice in verse number 2. For then would they have not ceased to be offered because that the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. So think about this. If I was a sinner and the sacrifices of the Old Testament did forgive my sins, well, then I wouldn't have to worry about my sins no more. But what would happen is that they had to come back year after year. The purpose of them coming back year after year was not to forgive their sins, but to remind them that they were sinners and for the wages of sin is death. It was a reminder card. It was something that was an annual thing. They would come and offer the sacrifices not to cover their sins, but for the purpose to remind them that they are sinners. And now that they know that they're sinners, they know that I have to have something that pays the price. This is a reminder. I need something else. And the purpose of it was to draw the people to the Lord. To let them know where they fall short. To let them know this wasn't enough. Notice with me in verse number 3. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. That is a very clear declarative statement. It is not possible. They never take away sins. They were a reminder. Now someone said, all right, let's try to make this make sense. So someone gave this illustration. I thought this was a good way to understand the Levitical system. Someone explained that the Levitical system of sacrifice was like a loan. A man would go to the banker for a loan. For a business venture. So I got a business. I want to make it succeed. So I'm going to the bank for a loan. And a wealthy friend agrees to endorse. And repay the debt. Should the business venture fall apart. So the banker draws it up. Knowing that the loan is guaranteed by someone. They draw up the paper. They go up the interest rate. They talk about the, the repayments. They set it up for one year's time. So the guy has big dreams that at the end of the one year, the business will be up and running. I'll pay back the loan. My friend won't have to worry about it. Well, the things don't work out. The next year, the business doesn't take out. He still has these loans that are due and he needs a little bit more. Because he wants to make it promise. So he shows back up. And because his friend is still guaranteeing the loan. He asks for further credit and an extension. The banker draws up the new note. Adds the new indebtedness to the loan. And then staples them together. So not only does he have his original loan. He now has a new loan on top of it. And they have to be paid. And it carries forward the new debt for the next year. So the year goes by, the business doesn't take off, and so he goes in next time. It hasn't taken off. My friend still promised to guarantee the loan. He still promised to take care of the indebtedness. It needs to be taken care of, uh, <laughs> but can I get another loan? And so a third one is drawn up, stapled, and what is happening is that the new debt is getting larger and larger as it compounds to each other. And yet the bank continues to do it because the other guy, the wealthy business owner, is still guaranteeing the loan, still making the promise to pay it. 
And so he gets larger and larger. And the businessman gets further and further in debt. The only thing that keeps him afloat is the endorsement of his friend. This is exactly what happened in the Old Testament system. They went in and said, I owe a debt and I can't pay it. But I need a reminder that this is going to be paid for. And so they have their debt and that it's stapled to this year's debt. And then the next year is stapled. With a thing that I have a guarantee that promised to pay off my loan. And that's who I'm putting my promise into. That my debt, I'm not digging out myself in debt. It's getting worse and worse. But he promised to pay my loan. That's what I'm putting my trust in. That's what I'm doing. The animal sacrifices were promissory notes. By bringing them to the altar, the Hebrews acknowledged my sin debt was accumulating. It was getting bigger and bigger. Each sacrifice carried the endorsement of God who guaranteed that that loan would be fully repaid and the liabilities acknowledged by that sinner. And when the notes needed to be discharged, Jesus carried all of that debt with him to Calvary. And then at Calvary, he paid it all. He paid it all. That was the promise that they were depending upon. That's what they were trusting in. That God was going to pay it off. Pay off the debt. I couldn't dig out myself. This wasn't taking care of it. It was Jesus that paid that debt off. So we understand as we cover this principle that the blood of goats and bulls could not be enough. The second thing that we see in here is that the offering of Jesus' body was enough. The offering of Jesus' body was enough. Notice with me in verse number 5. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body thou hast prepared for me. Now, God was not satisfied with the animal sacrifices, but it was Jesus' body that needed to be offered. Notice as it goes on in verse number 6. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast no pleasure. Now starting here, the Bible starts to quote Psalm 40. Psalm 40 is found in the Old Testament. So we're not talking about a New Testament passage. We're talking about an Old Testament passage. David is the hymn writer, the human instrument for there. And inside of Psalm 40... Psalm 40 declares that the blood of goats and bulls was not enough. David is looking at this broken system and he's saying, that does not take away my sins. That is not enough. This is not what I'm trusting in. Notice again as it quotes Psalm 40 in verse number 6. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou has had no pleasure. Let's pause there. What does that mean? That God's not up in heaven saying, I can't wait till another animal dies. This is what I'm looking forward to. God is not happy that animals are dying because of our sin. It is necessary to teach us that our sins require death. But God is not looking for pleasure by the death of animals. That doesn't please him. That's not what paid the thing. Verse number seven, 
Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book that is written to me to do thy will, O God. Above when he said, sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin thou wouldest not. Neither hast pleasure therein which are offered by law. Then said he, again still talking about Psalm 40. Lo, I have come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first that he may establish the second. In Psalm 40, it speaks about that the sacrifices was not enough. Now, this is in the middle of the sacrificial system. There's 1,000 years before Jesus Christ shows up from Psalm 40. But in it, it tells that Jesus Christ's coming was here. In fact, God gave the Hebrew people prophecy over prophecy, above prophecy, all about Jesus Christ's coming. With so many foretellings of his coming... How could anyone turn their back on the reality of Christ? God had told them over and over and over, telling them that he was going to send someone to pay their price. He was going to send the anointed one. That the blood and goats was not enough. He had someone who was going to pay that debt for them. Over and over in the Old Testament, he spoke about this. David knew about these shortcomings. David spoke about it. He acknowledged that the sacrifices didn't please God. And he writes about in this psalm, how the Old Testament Messiah would fill the Old Testament prophecies. And then when Jesus made the offering of his body in the cross, it was it. It paid it once and for all. Notice with me verse 10. By the which will we are sanctified uh, by which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once. For all. Notice this phrase or a variation of that phrase shows up, especially in this passage, but all throughout the book of uh, Hebrews. When Jesus Christ died, it was once for all. He died once. That's all it took. It was over and over. Notice, notice in verses 11 and 12 this picture here. So Jesus died once and for all. So here you can almost imagine a split screen. Uh, of dealing with the idea of how the two sacrifices work. Verse 11, And every priest standing daily, ministering and offering oft times the same sacrifices, which could never take away the sins. So the first panel. The first panel, imagine a lot of priests. They're busy in there. They're doing a sacrifice. And then they do the sacrifice again. Then they do it again. The next year, they do it again, and they do it again, and they're repeating themselves. And you can see it's full of busyness. They're continually working. They're continually going. And by the way, it didn't cover anything. But they're busy at it, and they're continuing at it. But notice the second pain, the second picture in this split uh, picture. Verse number 12. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever... Sat down on the right hand of God. So here's a second picture. This picture here has Jesus Christ sitting on the throne. Why is he sitting? Because his work's done. It was over. That was it. One time and he is done. Meanwhile, over here, this living picture, they're always working. Another sacrifice and another sacrifice and take care of this. And I'm doing the same thing over and over and it's still not working. There's busyness and a continual action, continually working, continually going. And it's not working. It's not solving anything. Then over here is peace. Which picture is the picture that we want? The one of peace. 
The one that's done and finished. The one where you don't have to do the same work over and over and over and over and over and over. And don't feel like anything's being accomplished. The once and for all. What it's doing is it's showing that Jesus Christ's sacrifice was better. To have it once and done or have this system where you're doing it over and over and over and over and over and over without cease. Jesus dying once and for all was the best way. It was done and over with. We can now rest in the finished work of Christ. Which brings us to the third thing. We had started off by talking about that the, the sacrifices of blood and, and goats was never enough. Then we spoke about how the sacrifice of Jesus, it was enough. Now because of that, the third thing here, there are no more offerings for sin. There are no more offerings for sin. Notice if you don't mind starting at verse 13. From henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. That is carrying the idea there's an expectation. There's something for Jesus waiting for. Do you know that Jesus is waiting for something? What is he waiting for? He's expecting. He is an expectation till his enemies be made his footstool. The one thing that Jesus is waiting for is to come back. And when he comes back, he's coming back as king. Remember, we spoke about that this morning, that the first coming of Jesus Christ is always associated with his second coming. The first time he came, he came to be our sacrifice. The second time he comes, there's no Calvary. He's coming to rule and reign forever. He is coming to rule on this earth. And Jesus is up waiting until time to come and make his enemies the footstool. He is coming to rule and to reign where he is going to be the exalted one. He is going to be going. Notice as it goes on in verse number 15 or verse 14. Verse 14 is key. If you don't have verse number 14 highlighted, underlined, mark it now. What does it say? For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. By one offering, he is perfected. The word perfection means to make complete, to make whole. Now, there are many passages in the book of Hebrews that is misunderstood. And when they misunderstood it, they sometimes call into question these misunderstood verses, saying that you could lose your salvation, that if you don't do this. But let me tell you, verse number 14 clears that all away. Verse 14 says, For by one offering hath he perfected for Ever them that are sanctified. Verse number 14 says, When Jesus Christ died on the cross, He perfected us. He made us complete. He made us whole. And it's forever. His work was enough. And you can't lose it. You can't misplace it. You can't give it away. It is settled forever. Them that are sanctified. And that's us. Remember, Oftentimes, the Bible uses that word sanctified in three tenses. In the English language, we have three tenses. We have past, we have present, and we have future. When the Bible uses the word sanctified, the word sanctified carries the idea to be brought to, uh, drawn unto God, separated unto him for his use, but it carries the idea in our relationship with sin. In the past, 
we, ha- we were or sanctified. In the present, we are being sanctified. And in the future, we will be sanctified. What do we mean by this? When we accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, Jesus Christ saved us from the penalty of sin. We'll no longer owe God the price of hell ever again. It was paid for. But even though you're saved doesn't erase your sin nature. You still sin. But what he has done is he saved us from the power of sin. Meaning that you no longer have to sin as a Christian. You do not have to sin. He has given you the power not to sin. Now, that means that any time as a Christian you do sin, it's because you choose to sin, not because you have to. You have been saved from the power of sin. You are being sanctified. God is working on you continually to make you more and more like him. And then in the future, we will be sanctified. We will be saved from the presence of sin, meaning that In the future, we're going to get a brand new redeemed body that will no longer be able to fail God anymore. And I'm looking forward to that because I'm tired of messing up. I'm tired of sinning. But this is what it means about sanctification. Those three tenses in one. I am saved from the penalty of sin. I am being saved from the power of sin. And I will be saved from the presence of sin. I have been sanctified. I am currently being sanctified. And I will be sanctified. Verse 14, for by one offered offering hath he perfected forever them that are sanctified. He perfected them forever. What a wonderful assurance that we have here. That Jesus Christ has paid it all once and for all forever. That's what he said. Now we understand there may be some other passages that may give some gray area. But we always interpret those gray passages with clear passages. Jesus said forever. I believe what he said. It was enough. He paid the price forever. He is taking care of me. Praise the Lord for that. Notice as it goes on with that same thought. Notice verse 15. This is good stuff here. Whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that he hath said before. And he go on, we'll talk more about that in a second. But notice this. This is one of three passages that it talks about the Holy Spirit being a witness. In this passage here, notice the preposition. He is a witness to us. In 1 John 5.10, he is a witness in us. And in Romans 8.16, he is a witness with us. Those are important phrases. Here it talks about he is a witness to us. 1 John 5.10, he is a witness in us. And then in Romans 8.16, he is a witness with us. The first has to do with fact. Here it says that... He is a witness to us. A statement of fact. You are sanctified. You are perfected once and forever. The Holy Spirit backs that up. The Holy Spirit is telling you a truth. He is a witness to us. He is declaring to you. You are saved forever. Praise the Lord. I like that. The second one dealing with the book of 1 John. Says that the Holy Spirit is a witness in us. This has to do with faith. 
So the first one had to do with fact. The second one is dealing with faith. Inside of me, the Holy Spirit inside of me is saying, I'm saved. I'm saved. I'm perfected. Jesus was enough. I have the witness in me that is dealing with faith. God is telling me I am saved inside of me. And then in the book of Romans chapter number 8 and 16, it says that the, that the Holy Spirit is a witness with us. This has to do with feeling. That the Holy Spirit with me is saying, you're saved. You're saved. You're saved. Fact, faith, and then here it deals with the idea of feeling. That the Holy Spirit, three times it witnesses to us that if you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, you are one of His forever. He is a witness to you. He is a witness in you. And then He is a witness with you. Praise the Lord that the Holy Spirit is a witness that what God said and what the Bible said is true. Praise the Lord for that. Notice as it goes on, as it's talking about the witness that he has to us, this statement of fact, he says in verse 15, whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. What is he witness to us? For after that he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now in verse 16 and 17, the Holy Spirit is witnessing to us. It is repeating to us what is called the new covenant. The new covenant that God had promised to the Hebrew people. He promised the Hebrew people that he would offer them salvation. And that they would be forgiven of all of their sins. Full, free, and forever. And as we had already explained. Because of the promises that God made to the Hebrew people. Jesus died on the cross. Jesus died for the Hebrew people. But it just so happens that his blood was so powerful. And so amazing. It paid for the price of every sinner. And every sin. Not just for a few people. But for them all. And because of the promises he made to the Hebrew people, we get to enjoy the new covenant as well. What is the new covenant that he repeated? Verse 16, for this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. Now again, he's already talked about this new covenant earlier in Hebrews. He's been bringing this up over and over. Again, if God's placing the emphasis, this is a big deal. For this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law into their hearts and in their minds will I write them. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Oh, what a great phrase. No more. No more. No more. We had talked about this morning, there are 20 phrases in the Bible that God deals with what he, the relationship of our sins after we get saved, that he has cast them as far as the east from the west. He's buried in the depths of the sea. 20 different passages God deals with our sins will be remembered no more. Because Jesus Christ did it once and for all. Notice with me verse 18. Now where remission of these, this idea of remission is a, is a word that goes with the idea of forgiving. Now where remission of sins, or remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Now what does that mean? It's not talking about you can lose your salvation or anything. 
remember it's talking about the sacrifices. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, it was enough. We don't have to sacrifice anything else because Jesus Christ was enough. That means there's nothing you could add to it. You can't help God save you. You can't ask, help God keep you saved. You can't help God to make you saveder later on. It was enough. There's nothing else that has to be done to that. What, an, what a wonderful thing that is. What a wonderful thing I could have assurance according to the Bible. That it was enough. I can't mess it up. I can't lose it. I can't misplace it. It's not up to me in any way. It's up to him and him alone. It was enough. Amen. What great assurance the Bible gives us. There's no more. There's nothing left to do. It was enough. We don't have to get saved and get baptized in order to go to heaven. Baptism doesn't save me. It can't wash away my sins. I'm glad we don't have to do with that. It's not the idea that I become saved and then I have to do all these good things in order to keep it. When Jesus died, it was enough to not only save me, but keep me saved. It was enough. He did it all. There's no more that has to be done because Jesus was enough. Oh. I'm so thankful for it that we don't have to continue with the ritual of sacrificing animals. I'm glad that for Sunday morning service that we don't have to have a special thing where you bring your beloved lamb that you've had all year. You bring it in and we have to stink up the joint with the smell of the, and the sounds of a sacrificed animal. Aren't you glad we don't have to do that now? Aren't you glad that we don't have to stand on our hands and try to do some silly ritual in order to get God's favor to go ahead so we don't lose anything? It is enough. No more. No more. When Jesus died, he died once and for all. He is sitting on the throne Next to God. Because there's nothing else to do. It's done. The only thing he's waiting for is when he steps down and comes on this earth and rules the place. He's not up in heaven trying to plan his next thing. Or how am I going to keep him saved? Or keep watching over them and kind of play like mother hen. Okay, don't go this way. Come on. Come on. I mean, you imagine how bad it would be to hurt us. It's like herding cats. We're always wandering away and going crazy. He's sitting on the throne and said, I've, I've done it. I'm, I'm done. I don't have anything else to do. I'm dealing with salvation. No more. It's done and over with. They trust me. That's enough. My blood was enough to pay for them all. Now, what does this do for us? Let me give you the warning here. And we're going to talk more about that in the book of Hebrews later on. Does that give me the freedom to go rob banks? Woohoo! God save me. I do whatever I want. In fact, the opposite is true. I don't serve God in order to get something from him. I serve God because of what he's done. I want to be pleasing to him because of what he's done for me. You know what the preaching of the cross does for me? 
The preaching of the cross should make me so thankful for what God has done that I want to serve him. The more that I think about the cross, the more that I think about his blood, it drives me more. I want to be close to you, God. I want to read your Bible. I want to be so thankful. We should be thankful people. It is not a license to do whatever we want. It's the opposite of that. Where we willfully decide to serve God. I don't have to have someone twist my arm whether I'm going to go to church or not. I want to go to church. I don't have to have someone twist my arm and tell me I need to love my wife. Listen here, you got to love your wife today. Because I love the Lord, I want to do right with my wife and my kids. By the way, this section now twists over. And starting on Wednesday, we're going to see the application of this. Faith is the new way. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, my response should be faith. Faith in him. Because he did this for me, I have no problems doing this for him. I'm not doing it to get something from him. I'm doing this because of what he's already done for me. It's a whole different motive. It's a whole different way. I can trust him because he's done. He's done his work. I trust him now because of what he's done. So just let me ask you. Sometimes I know we're on a Wednesday night crowd. But you never know. People struggle with their salvation quite often. And part of the reason why they struggle is because they don't feel like it's enough. Jesus died on the cross, yes, but me. When you put that but, it turns everything around. Let me tell you, it's a period. Jesus Christ died, it was enough. But you don't understand how badly I've messed up since then. Don't have to. I know Jesus Christ was enough. Period. Some people will say, but, but you don't understand. I don't feel like I've done enough. I feel like I've got to help God out. Well, listen, did he do it all? Was it done and over with? Is he a big enough God to get it done himself? Yes. He doesn't need our help. He did it. It was enough. Our response is to trust in him. You know, what a, Satan loves to get people to doubt their salvation. Because as long as they're doubting their salvation, they serve God in order to get something from him. I'm knocking as many doors as I possibly can so that way God's happy with me and he doesn't send me to hell. That's what's happened is that we get in bondage. We get enslaved. I got to read my Bible. Otherwise, God's not going to like me anymore. We have to be careful with that. Jesus has paid it all. I should serve God with pure motives. I want to read my Bible because of what he's done. I'm not reading my Bible in order to get something from him, whether it's salvation or favors or anything. When I talk to God, I talk to God and I have boldness to go. By the way, that was the next verse, that we have boldness to enter into the throne room of grace. Because of what he's done. I don't have to go, Mr. Jesus, uh, I know that I've been a horrible, rotten sinner. And I know you probably don't want to see me. But, you know, Jesus paid it all. We could go to him boldly and say, Father, I have a need. And he says, I want to hear about it. Everything changes when we have it settled that Jesus' death on the cross 
was enough. It was enough. Now my service is different. I'm not serving to get something from him. I am serving because of what he has done. It changes everything. Faith is a new way of life. And it changes everything. So let me ask the question. Are you 100% sure from the Bible that your sins are forgiven? You can know and God wants you to know by the finished work of Jesus Christ. Remember all the sacrificial system did was a reminder that I'm a sinner and for the wages of sin is death. Because of my sins I owe God a debt. And all the sacrifice system reminded me is I still owe God. I still owe God. I still owe God. I still owe God. That didn't do anything. The only thing that did anything was that Jesus died on the cross. And he rose again the third day. And it was enough. When someone gets saved, that means they are trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone. You are not trusting in Jesus and something else. You're not trusting in Jesus and your good works. Jesus and baptism. Jesus and church membership. Jesus and being a good person. It's Christ and Christ alone. That is all that is enough. And then as I put my trust in him and him alone, knowing it's nothing of me, there is a liberty and a freedom that I have. I have the liberty to serve God without trying to feel like I'm earning my way out of debt. I can serve God because I have a clean slate. Not that I'm trying to say, please don't squish me, please don't squish me. I get to serve God with pure motives now. I read my Bible with pure motives now. Let me tell you, there is a peace that passeth all understanding. When you understand that Jesus paid it all. My relationship now changes. I go from that cross, not trying to head towards it. Meaning I'm not trying to work my way to finally allow him to be able to forgive me. I start with a clean slate and I'm moving forward towards him because he's already done it all. It is enough. So the question is, are you 100% sure if you die today that you'd go to heaven? We want that nailed down. Perhaps the answer to that question is, yes, I am sure. But man, I have trouble sometimes. Sometimes I feel like it's not enough. Sometimes I feel like it's all on me. I feel like I've failed God. I feel like he doesn't accept me no more. Then the question, uh, what I have for you is, do you believe in God's word? Remember, as we said in Sunday school, your flesh will lie to you. And it will lie to you quite often. I'm so glad that salvation's not based off of feelings. Because there are some days I wake up in the morning and I don't feel saved. I may not smell saved. I may not look saved. But salvation's not based off of me. It's based off of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Once and for all, I will owe him no more. No more sacrifice for sins. 
no more. So if you are one of those people who said, I'm saved, but man, I go up and down and I struggle. Let me tell you, go to the Bible. See what it said once and for all. Once, no more, no more. Notice those phrases in the book of Hebrews. Those aren't there arbitrarily. Those are there on purpose. Notice them once and for all. No more. You could go to the bank and say, listen, I may not trust things. I may not trust my feelings. But this is what the Bible said. And I trust you. I trust you. Then for those of you who are saved and you're not struggling with your salvation, let me tell you, serve God out of a thankful heart. This is why we need to spend so much time at the cross of Calvary to remind us what he's done for us. So out of thankfulness, I am glad to serve him. If you get to the place where you find yourself grumpy, and by the way, we all do. I don't want to go to church today. You know what? You need church more. You need to go to the cross of Calvary and be reminded all that he's done for us. I don't want to read my Bible today. Let me tell you, the answer is you need to go back to the cross of Calvary and remember all that he's done for you. It is not a big deal to serve God at all for anything that he asks when we realize all that he has done for me. All that he's done for me. How can I do less than give him my best and live for him completely after all he's done for me? Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you could give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three oh eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three oh eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.